are you? Good, not bad, and you? Yeah, good. You know. <laughs> are you are you going through the the quarantine in Berlin? I guess. Yeah, and honestly, it's 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 really uh, my joke is that Berlin, like the population density in Berlin, feels like it's in quarantine when there's no nothing happening anyway. You know, so it doesn't feel uh, it, it. It hasn't really been all that bad. Berlin, unfortunately, hasn't been hit so bad with cases, and um, things have started to open up. But uh, as we all know, you know, I mean, our I mean, our job pretty much is about getting on a plane and going to be in rooms with hundreds of people, you know, and so being uh, detached from that is like, it's quite a trip, you know, and not not being able to know like when you can start that up again is like for a planner like me is like anathema, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Um, yeah, it's pretty complex. I don't know who said this, but it's like speculating about international relationships in October 2001, you know. Yeah, that was Evgeny. Yeah, yeah. It's like who can now prepare a medium-term plan regarding this? It's like when, like when, are you already starting to plan that? Okay, all the postponed things. When are they starting? Like October, September? It's like when are you feeling comfortable? Well, fortunately, I mean the good news in a way, at least with us we're in in some ways is that we were kind of mid uh, record touring cycle and so there were a load of dates that in a way are actually on the calendar for the fall like for example we have a quite a big show in new york um that was supposed to happen um a couple months ago and has been like tentatively rescheduled for the fall but i think we are basically it's almost like uh It's kind of like the block system with the blockchain. There's, like, there's basically like a block of events that are waiting to happen and they're being pushed slowly back. And so I don't think anybody's planning on it happening in the fall, but we have some securities that when that venue opens, we're playing, if that makes sense. And so there's this odd kind of, um, uh, it's, it's also like a, a, there's an odd kind of like pact, I think, with a bunch of people who like, had things that they were planning that once things reopen, everybody's going to kind of start simultaneously. I doubt it's going to happen there uh, that way. Um, and so in other cases, like without being able to plan events, you know, we're just trying to busy ourselves and as difficult as it, difficult as it is, you know, just kind of like that's been the beginnings of a new album has started. Like that conversation has started with the label and, you know, the, all this kind of, Yeah, which all which all feels very silly from day to day. Some days it can feel more um, more real than than others. But uh, 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 yeah, but what else can you do in these circumstances? But 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 convince yourself that there's that there's a very very good reason to think to be ambitious with the next project you're doing or whatever it might be. Of course, you need to think that way. You know? And to what extent these events have changed uh, the course? of thinking or influence, you know, like how much would these events impregnate the thought and ideas behind the new project? Uh, is it like a before and after or you will, you know, you're thinking more like trying to accommodate but not be so explicit? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, there's a couple, there's a couple of things, right? It's like, I mean, specifically on the Holly project, there's, there's a kind of like, the conversations Holly and I have are very much like not attempting to be explicit or 
explicitly reference this stuff, if only I think because there's a there's a there's been a temptation and and whatever people deal with things in different ways, but I actually find it somewhat like distasteful, um, like the the speed at which people have been willing to kind of jump on this topic thematically, um, in very kind of loose and heavy-handed ways. If that makes sense, like I'm seeing quarantine albums being made that feel like PR opportunities, you know, like kind of the anxious. Uh, anxious expressions uh, uh, trying to capture the moment or something. And like all of that just feels completely inappropriate for exactly the reason that, that was mentioned earlier, which is that who the fuck knows what this means. You know, and like, uh, and then there's the other side, which is closer to maybe my research work, which um, where it, not to, I mean, everyone actually, Evgeny who made the, the, the October 20, the October 2001 comment, um, you know, uh, also in that conversation was talking about how, um, you know, everybody for whatever reason um, is using COVID as validation or vindication of some theory that they had, you know? Um, oh yeah. Which I think is funny and it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, but that being said, um, a lot of the research that I was working on um, was in a sense trying to conceive of a parallel fork of a kind of music industry or a kind of music economy post climate measures and yeah. so the one thing that i'm not going to be again so distasteful as to say well i have all the answers but in a way I've, i'm trying to see covid as a bit of like a toy uh, a toy model or like a, a dress rehearsal for the kind of scenarios I was trying to map in that project and so if anything this is not saying I saw a cut you know any of that bullshit but like but the thing for me is like ultimately the the the, the stress that is becoming so visible to everybody um, in this unforeseen circumstance is in some ways kind of a, 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 a it does in some ways make more vivid the greater critiques, the greater kind of like stratification and uh, of the platform economy, you know? And like, of course I would have maybe, maybe said that anyway, but I think it's just fairly true, right? It's like, you know, going on Instagram now um, when not everybody is trying to hustle for a new opportunity is simply laying bare like the incredibly diverse array of experiences that people have in their daily lives, right? There's like, people and like living in rooms with uh, you know with living in apartments with with in cramped apartments and there's people you know uh, uh, jumping in swimming pools and the uh, so anyway so so I've been the only way I can kind of make this make this unusual time useful I think without being tasteless is basically to say okay well you know this in a sense uh, is a dress rehearsal of a time when travel is more expensive um localities for better or worse and in many cases for the worse because of you know uncertainty around the, the eu schengen like border policy just generally localities become more important or more um what's the word more consolidated because less people are just traveling around constantly um and uh, for whatever reason you know uh, 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 yeah, this is so. Anyway, so these were these were some ideas that I was already thinking about with the future club economy stuff. That's that's yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, maybe not a uh, a very um, structured explanation, but yeah, I mean, obviously you explained several times this dichotomy between dependent and interdependent music. And I was reading recently uh, this article that you wrote about uh, tokenized SoundCloud. And now the, the, the situation uh, seemed to change uh, regarding how how we use uh, or some artists use Bandcamp these days during the the pandemic uh, since Bandcamp took these measures of waiving the fees on certain Fridays and so I don't know if you still find certain relevance in this model that uh, well you propose as a kind of hypothesis for SoundCloud or if you think some of these ideas could be potentially uh, useful for 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 yeah for Bandcamp because I, I, I feel in the music scene certain optimism regarding how Bad camp with this very extremely simple measure mm-hmm. um, could replace the aims of a very low-key musician to be, for example, on a Spotify. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, being on Spotify seems irrelevant for a lot of musicians that maybe in January that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you thought about this, about uh, yeah, this kind of change. Seems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so a couple of things, right? Like the yeah, there's a lot to say about the independence and interdependence thing. But like one really obvious thing there is that like yeah, like again, I think that I do my best to create a really hard wedge at any available opportunity between kind of lottery. Uh, rentier economies of Spotify, for example, hmm. right, in which the 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 yield or the return promised is really really high, but you basically have to keep chasing a carrot, keep putting money into a system, keep self promoting, in order to see any any results, um, and the the Bandcamp, Patreon, increasingly Substack, Currents FM, uh, economy um, where people are paying money. Uh, for a product or a service that that you provide, you know, and like that is on the most kind of, you know, you're both like very well versed. I'm familiar with some of your work, and and you know, you'll use like quadrisyllabic words in your work. You know, <laughs> you're like in that universe. Um, in my like in my world, like which is, you know, like if if there's any success to be found, if if there's any like, um, any interpretation of those that dichotomy that that can travel i want it to be that one you know that's like okay just it's really clear like interdependent means you're actually paying people for the stuff they do (laughs) independence is this kind of lottery economy um now so when it comes to the tokenized stuff um i have a couple of things to say that one's like a really funny story which i haven't really told publicly but uh so um first off I do think that some of those ideas, even though I'm definitely like a, a, a how to put it, I'm definitely kind of a 
a withered kind of uh, lonely uh, person on the left still who still has a lot of patience for uh, for aspects of the digital currency crypto economy crypto protocol universe I'm definitely one of the lonely people who will still say like I know it's really difficult because there's a load of assholes and a load of idiots in that world but you know the, the thing about the token aspects of the token economy that are still very interesting to me um, are ostensibly the ability to the ability and the habit to cheaply and quickly organize um, decentralized cooperatives basically in which equity voting um, voting rights, uh, consensus rights, um, uh, uh, and indeed funds can pass through really, really fluidly and transparently online. Um, that stuff to me is revelatory. I, th I think that's like looking at like the Ethereum Ethereum and, and, and the DAO space, for example, or the way in which um, Gitcoin grant systems work, where you basically have these ad hoc councils of people all over the world who care about a particular issue. Um, you know, able to quickly pool funds and distribute funds to wherever in the world they want to, um, on the basis of some kind of consensus protocol or some kind of a, a, a you know, a, a, a bounty or whatever it might be. These ideas, to me, as as in many cases within like a lot of kind of the libertarian space, right? Like these are somewhat prescient of different ways that small uh, subcultures can um, can uh, invite funds. Um, and also think of organizing themselves in a more collective manner, um, which I think within music, as you'll both know, is is kind of like, you know, the specter that kind of looms over things like allegedly, but, but, but very rarely do you see it, it, it so vividly as, as in that kind of that space. So, so that's one thing. I still think those ideas are super interesting. Um, and the, I, I, oh, please, sorry, please, please, no, no, please, please go ahead. Oh, no, well, the second thing is that, um, and this is the part people don't know, uh, uh, so when I wrote that uh, tokenized SoundCloud article, um, I'm, I'm going to omit some details for just for uh, uh, what's the word? Because to be respectful of people who were involved in this project. But basically, at the time, obviously the crypto market was crazy, right? Um, a bunch of money had been put in there, and again, look, I can be very, very critical. I think a lot of people made a, a hell of a lot of money for doing nothing, and. Uh, and many of the kind of utopian kind of uh, principles of the crypto community, in my mind, lost a lot of credibility around about that time because there were, I mean, I know people who made tens of millions, you know, from doing nothing, from, from being lucky, um, writing a PDF, you know, gross, gross things like that. Now, that being said, um, in a space like music where it, is, it has been almost impossible for a very long time now to conceive of or that, for that matter get funded an idea that doesn't involve this kind of lottery-based streaming, independence, kind of do-it-all-yourself mentality. Um, I saw that crypto time as being an incredible opportunity to try and raise easy money to build on top of some of, even if the people, you know, espousing some of these utopian ideals were full of shit, I don't care. Like, the ability to take some of that money and build some of this more utopian shit in music um, was very, very interesting to me. And so, at the time, I'd worked really difficultly, uh, really hard, um, on putting together, um, with, with some other people who I won't name, but putting together like a consortium of people with, from the crypto world, um, some of whom, you know, were, were big players in that world. Um, 
and what we did is we put together a project called um, the DMS, the Decentralized Music Society, with the idea being to raise money initially from partner funds, um, and then potentially later, uh, potentially later through through other sources, um, to basically start building the foundations for a different kind of music stack, a different kind of music industry, um, and. No, I'm not lying about this. It sounds kind of ridiculous, but the the, the SoundCloud tokenized SoundCloud thing was was served two purposes. The, the the article served two purposes. One purpose it served was um to uh to basically try and seed the idea and introduce some of the ideas. So the people had no idea what tokenization was in music world. Um, but number two, it was internally um, an attempt for me to show from the discourse that followed from that article to show some of the people who are less familiar with the kind of communities I might be familiar with, um, that there is actually demand and interest in that world. Because at the time, not no word of a lie, like some of these crypto partners could have acquired SoundCloud. And in fact, there were conversations a bit of like, I mean, like, you know, these people had a lot of money. Um, and so, yeah, so, so even though in retrospect, like some of that stuff, um, it looks like uh, uh, I don't necessarily think that, that maybe the, the, the best way to reform the music industry is to tokenize an already existing uh, platform. I don't know how feasible that is. At the time, it felt very much like mounting that case um, could have been really transformative. And that's basically what the article says. The article says, you know, it, it, you can, if you read it through the context of me talking to a bunch of people who have no idea about the problem space, um, I'm basically saying, hey, like you guys could just spend all this money you made doing very little um, on buying an existing platform and reforming it in the image of the principles that you allegedly espoused. Um, and I guarantee you that without, I can't disclose too much more, but I guarantee you that I was far closer to that than anybody knows. Um, and uh, this, the only, yeah, the, the tragedy of all of this is that, you know, this was six or seven months before um, the, the, the market crash and there were far more tragic stories uh, than the one I'm telling, but the, uh, 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 but yeah, but that just took the bottom out of that entire thing. Like all the play money that was being distributed to often, honestly, asinine projects, um, just kind of dried up. People got laid off in those companies, and you know, I mean, you saw what it was like a 97% drop in to in, <laughs> in token value in some cases. Anyway, I'm talking too much, but but that's the oh. back the backstory of that stuff. Is like I think some of the ideas are still interesting, but many of the people who I think yeah, at the time when I was screaming like, "Hey guys, there's an opportunity here to like apply some pressure and get some funds to build something different," um, I really, really meant it. Um, yeah, and I, I think this really brings a very interesting tension, um, especially in light of COVID nineteen. I'm thinking of you know, like I mean, they are great. The cryptocurrencies are great uh, decentralized tools, and then I'm thinking about the notion of the state and you know how in places like here in Europe it has been absolutely crucial to have the health systems in place in order to kind of cope with uh, the COVID-19. So basically I'm trying to think about the, the ideologies that have been going through, we've, we've been talking about the anarcho-capitalist how they're gaining a lot a lot of power and I guess if we bring back to the music industry, I'm trying to kind of think um, how the ideology of independence music within this cryptocurrency, whether that distinction 
in mm. regards to left or right then becomes very very blurry and then it's very very difficult to kind of uh, make uh, a kind of analysis of mm -hmm. the ideological spectrum within anarchism people who you know want to go beyond the state but they still want to remain the notion of property and so on so how have you experienced this uh, uh, dichotomy within the yeah. ideological realm of it's it's really interesting right because I'm a I'm ultimately I mean look I'm, I'm a I'm a democratic socialist right like um, with with some libertarian leanings which uh, and the um, the I'm also a pragmatist. So this kind of like, this is the really difficult, it's a great conversation to have, you know, it's like, honestly, like in my mind, everything I do, there's kind of a normative ideal, right? Which is ultimately like, I have some pretty hard left principles, particularly on labor compensation, um, collective bargaining, this kind of stuff. Um, and then there's the pragmatist in me, which is like, it is very difficult to, uh, it's very difficult sometimes to square what the right decision in the short term is with these greater goals. And some, somehow, you know, in some cases, the most obvious example is that like, in some cases you might actually, you know, uh, be getting closer to your normative goal through being more flexible in your short term, uh, actions. If, if this makes sense, right? Like, um, where, you know, being completely inflexible ideologically, which I've seen, you know, like, particularly within the realms of, uh, within realms of the academy, you know, where, um, uh, uh, my, like, one of my, my kind of, which, which is funny, because it, it's, I have to defend myself as, like, someone on the left, and I quite often about this, like, one of the, my, really, the things that annoys me the most is when I'm having conversations with people who act as if they are living in a state socialist paradise, but they're not, you know, so the, the, you know, so, so uh, for example, the, you know, the receiving accusations, you're, you guys aren't doing this at all, but like, but oftentimes, like, looking at, for example, the new space of Web3 or whatever, you have people from the left saying, well, you know, you're playing around with basically exactly like crypt, crypt, like anarcho-capitalist tools. And I'm like, well, th this, this kind of purity test idea is like... It's, it, Childish to me. It just, it, you know, it, it's just, it's just not, not realistic. That being said, um, I think what you're identifying is just is a broader problem even than like in in music realm, right? Like it, it is so difficult to uh, in these spaces of 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 newer technologies, these kind of like very online dynamics. It's sometimes very, very difficult to attribute one clear, vivid uncomplicated uh, political ideology to um, to a suite of tools or to a possible set of set of behaviors that come from those tools and as a result you see and I mean this is you know it, it's been an uncomfortable thing for me from for a long time like um, in the decentralized space for example like you know I've been working on for you know 2013 I mean seven seven odd years now I've been working on tools or ideas in this universe and you get really odd bedfellows, you know, the, you, you'd be surprised who drops into your email, you know, the second you start talking about, for example, you know, um, Facebook, who I, I think generally, it, it, I, you know, I, I, I would, I would love to see, uh, I would love to see dissolved. Um, but the second you start talking about that openly, publicly, yeah, you're going to get some absolute loons uh, come through. Um, because 
in some cases, you know, you see, um, uh, and to go beyond some kind of like horseshoe analysis, but you do see some kind of uh, shared interest between people who might find themselves on a very principled, uh, from a very principled leftist position, and, you know, like odd uh, anti-globalist conservative patchwork types, you know, that, that those odd kind of, uh, 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 those odd kind of, uh, uh, agreement moments kind of appear, and in a classic uh, political analysis, not that I'm like a political science or anything, but scientist or anything, but but like, what you call that? You know, that's a, that's a good. Uh, um, uh, it, it's difficult to to keep these things kind of uh, nicely clean and kosher, you know. Um, so yeah, so I mean, as I say, I, I'm very interested. I'm still very interested in many of these decentralized tools. Um, Irrespective of the fact that, yeah, nine out of ten people I might meet who are fervently passionate about them, I might completely disagree with their politics, um, or, or completely disagree with even their kind of like rationale for why this stuff is important. But that's, you know, I think I think that's a that's a more honest way to be than to disregard something just because you get cooties, you know, just because like there's some people who are also interested in that topic who you don't like. That to me doesn't make any sense at all, you know. Um, and as you said, I, I, my fundamental opinion is. You know, the, the COVID is now showing the uh, the value of strong states. Uh, it is it is really humiliating the prepper um, analysis of self sufficiency because this is the other point of the, the interdependence principle, right? Is it's nonsense. Like when you're looking at these maps, you look at the way in which this virus is traveling through the world. We are in this together. In like. A, the idea of being able to camp out in the woods somewhere, um, you know, and create your own, make your own water or whatever, it just it just seems it seems laughable and like a, an odd, it's like an odd upper middle class fetish. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but there is something uh, really interesting here. Um, so we, I think we can share uh, this view in which uh, decentralized ways of approaching, for example music are extremely powerful and organizing ourselves in terms of how to produce music, how we can experience um, even purchase music. But if we continue with this parallel with COVID-19, uh, the problem that I find here is not that we have strange partners or or people with different ideological uh, leanings around us. The problem is uh, that, okay, we can create a quite robust infrastructure that it works and it could be really useful. Uh, but for me, uh, the problem is uh, some kind of uh, potential a horizon in which suddenly we feel uh, the need of a continuous kind of grassroots support of this infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But since this inf infrastructure is so dependent on an external economical set of dynamics, mm -hmm. actually um, the way in which support us, inverted commas, is, um, is quite strange. For example, I would like to um, 
talk with you because you mentioned several times and I never fully understand uh, fully understood why for example you have a <coughs> positive uh, positive opinions regarding for example Red Bull Music Academy or Boiler Room while yeah. you for example frequently argue in favor of musicians getting paid and yeah. uh, and these uh, institutions uh, were famously renowned for not treating uh, all musicians equally and a lot of precariousness around yeah. these institutions uh, this is quite common. I mean, if you go to the uh, small venues, you can hear a lot of shit talk about this. When these <laughs> big yep. infrastructures disappear, well, in the case of Red Bull Music Academy, this is this is dumb. They they what they leave in the community, in the grassroots community is something extremely uh, unequal. I mm. mean, maybe some musicians uh, are in a better, better position now, but generally uh, what they left is, is, is not something very um, decentralized, quite the opposite. The, 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 the feeling that, that I am trying to suggest is the feeling in which, uh, for example, uh, a health provider in the States mm-hmm. have a different sense of responsibility with their users or customers than, let's say, an institution like NHS in UK or Social Security sure. System in Spain. Yep. With their patients. I don't know if this is no. This is it's a great. I, I love it. I love it because we're getting into the area where we might argue at convivially, obviously. Can, <laughs> but the, can, can I complement yeah. this? Uh, of course, of course. This question please, please, with please. an anecdote. <clears throat> One of the weirdest moments uh, in a concert that I attended was when Tony Allen uh, played here uh, with Jeff Mills, and. Like in the introductions, Jeff Mills was introducing everybody and then talking, they all were talking about themselves. And uh, Tony Allen just said, like, just a brief sentences, and then he said, I'm not going to say anything else, you know. But then in the middle of the concert, he started to do a long speech thanking Red Bull Music Academy, explaining yeah. how without them he, couldn't, he, he will not be anywhere, he will not be nothing. Yep. And then he That's crazy. asked everybody, please, please give a great, great applause for Red Music Academy. And it was the weirdest applause that I ever experienced in a concert because not many people were applauding, you know, because like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah. What, uh, you know, it doesn't feel right for, you know, for the yeah. public that were there. But obviously for Tony Allen, it kind of meant that he was traveling around the world and, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, and that's a, that's a, it, it is an interesting, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, and I think that, I can't obviously speak for Tony Allen, and obviously rest in peace, um, but the, yeah. I think the general, that is actually a really I kind of interesting uh, moment. I wish I would have experienced that moment, um, because I think it, it, it communicates like some of the disconnect 
um, on both sides, like on this particular issue, right? So, okay, so first off, I'll I'll speak to um, when I when I talk about RBMA and boiler room, I'll 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 explain my my rationale, um, and then maybe <clears throat> explain how I can also have that squares with this kind of broader um, broader uh, uh, perspective. So so. First off, the, the the analysis between like let's say uh, uh, a private health insurance provider in the states um, and the NHS, like I agree. I mean, like I think that like uh, anybody, in, including in fact actually the, the founders of RBMA and Boiler Room, I, I, I guarantee you um, would prefer um, an NHS ultimately to a private uh, uh, to a private healthcare provider uh, uh, on principle now. Um, in some countries, of course, Germany being one of them, um, there is a very strong um, state-based arts funding universe. And uh, I, I believe so to some extent in Barcelona. It, it varies everywhere. Everyone has different opinions about it. Of course, it, there's, I mean, you're, when you go into small scenes, you'll, you'll equally find a number of people who have weird stories about, you know, crony... Uh, crony councils of grant providers within the state-based. Um, that being said, uh, clearly state support for the arts, uh, affordable universities. This is stuff that that I would, I would fight for. You know, I, I think that this is very, very, very important infrastructure and very important stuff. And I, and I, it hurts me when I see that slip away. Now, that being said, that has been slipping away, right? Like the the, the general neoliberal turn, the general turn toward the market, has been happening for better or worse before RBMA, whatever existed. Now, similarly, um, my thesis and my justification when it comes to, to, to being conditionally supportive of, of RBMA and Boiler Room is that in the space, let's say, our more kind of <clears throat> more, nothing is ever separate from greater societal trends, but within a music landscape, if we just attempt to isolate it there, uh, again, I tried to create a wedge between what I saw as being lottery dynamics, people working for free, people also in a sense that, that there's been this kind of anti-archive, kind of anti-historical, ahistorical march of these platforms and app economies um, where, you know, the future of music is being rewritten. I mean, the most egregious examples are like you see, you know, EDM stars having their names put on... Uh, uh, streets in Detroit or something for inventing techno music. It's crazy these odd surrealist moments that, that occur when basically you see a, a, a sea change of uh, control from like a centralized music industry centralized entities in a decentralized network of, of, of a music industry over to this kind of app economy lottery system. Um, and so the one thing that I would commend uh Institute like, like organizations like like RBMA and Boiler Room for doing is that I don't think that people understand just how barren, just how much in disrepair, particularly our kind of scenes. We 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 haven't spoken about it, but I guarantee you we share friends in common. We share with a scene in a loose in the grand context of things. Right now, people have no idea just how threadbare that stuff was becoming as a result of. Um, this march toward streaming platforms um, and this kind of seizure of attention, right, um, from the again flawed and problematic, but but somewhat uh, uh, str 
strong position <clears throat> of the kind of major indies, your excels, your dominoes, your rough trades or whatever, your pitchforks. I can poke holes in this stuff all day. And that e ecosystem, in contrast to where everything else is going, is sacred to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and this is where the pragmatist comes in. It's like I can poke holes in, you know, the somewhat cronyistic gatekeeping, basically, of like the the major indie universe. Um, I, I know more about it than most people. I, I can I can poke holes in it all day, but the fact that that universe cares about characters like Tony Allen, cares about the genesis and the provenance of where music comes from, cares about the record industry as flawed as it might have been, and cares about the scenes that you or I might participate in, that ultimately, let's face it, like, if it is, if it weren't for, I mean, again, the art world, I mean, Christ, like, I, I can poke, I kind of hate the art world, I mean, like, I, I can poke, or whatever the art world is, but like, but, but, the, but, but there's a difference between, it's almost kind of like, domestic disputes about how this stuff ought to be run, and then the greater threat and the greater challenge, which is the external one, saying that this stuff might be completely invalidated in 10 to 20 years, because there is no capital, there's no money circulating, there's no interest. And now, Red Bull, um, I think more so more so than, than Boiler Room, is, which is a separate issue, but like, Red Bull Music Academy, the amount of uh, money, resources, time that was put into plucking characters like you know i won't talk about tony allen because it feels sensitive and i don't actually know specifically what their relationship was but i can say that like there were so many people who were in a sense like revived out of some obscurity back into the conversation by funds that were placed there i know so many people who went through the academy itself which was a free no strings attached um university kind of apprenticeship experience um the amount of visas that they put together the amount of shows that they basically funded to be able to go on to make money elsewhere right so like I, and i can say this transparently that, that they you know if it weren't for for example a couple of years ago red bull music academy booked us for a show in new york um with you know an elevated fee it was a, it was a bigger fee than we might normally get because it's red bull music academy the that fee went into us being able to create aspects of the show that we could then continue to tour on a certain level you know so they were filling all these infrastructural gaps i think the visa one is the the biggest one that, that gets omitted because people people just aren't even prepared to understand um how difficult visa uh, uh, uh procuring visas is for people from jamaica for people from yeah i know matt uh, but let yeah. me interrupt you for a second but uh, don't you see the problematic aspect of a company like Red Bull providing a solution for musicians having a visa and being able to perform internationally. I know that the current state of things, well, pre-COVID yeah. state of things uh, was very particular, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite uh, bleak, uh, a world in which... I, I look, I, yeah, look uh, no, I mean, that but but here's the thing is i think that if you were to speak to uh you know manny or whoever from from red bull music academy which i mean again another thing that's important to, to distinguish is the two are separate right the uh yada star who created red bull music academy were a separate company and the confusion is that red bull music academy is red bull when in actuality it was a separate decision-making base 
that had to petition Red Bull for money and it just had the name in there. But anyway, irrespective. Yeah, yeah no, 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 but you are yeah. right. Yeah, fair but enough. If, but, yeah. If you were to speak, but if you were to speak to uh, uh, Manny Amory or whoever from, from the founding group, they would say the same thing. They would be like, it's crazy that, you know, we... And, and, in, and in some cases, like, it, it's crazy that we... That it is crazy bleak that the situation is as it is. And then the question is, well, what, what does one do about it? Now, there is a credible argument to say, maybe, I would say, that... If uh, Red Bull Music Academy not existing would have, in the fact that it was not no that it was not that it would not in that case be papering over some of these huge cracks like uh, uh, within the music economy uh, of the of that 10, 15 year period, maybe we would have as a community come to certain realizations about the disrepair of this economy sooner. That's a credible argument, I think. Um, you know that I think in many ways that that. You know, whether it be Red Bull Music Academy or also, I mean, there's arguments at the moment about your know, private wealth. Like, I mean, private wealth has run independent music for the past 20 years. Like, I mean, this is a no-brainer. This is, how else? How else would it work? These are these are Beverly Hills kids in many cases who are running, you know, uh, scenes in in Brooklyn. Of course, how else could it work? Because we we determined, and actually, I think a lot of people, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, and a lot of uh, we determined that we didn't want to we we didn't want to put put fund into this stuff. You know, journalists, publications, institutions accepted that thesis. So of course, you need money to come from somewhere in order to to render a, a, a simulation of things continuing as normal. You know, and the thing is, the difference is there. I don't. I agree with you, and and I honestly, I know for a fact that you, you speak to the RBMA people. Vast majority of them agree with you too. Being like, it will be we're out there as this kind of robust. In institution as everything else is crumbling and we look awful we and i think there's a correlation and causation problem there because i don't think that musician musical communities are struggling because of rebel music academy i think the musical communities are struggling and rebel music academy figured out a albeit pragmatic and again it has its problems i, I, I can talk about that but in the grand scheme of things they were just that it was a more resilient thing because they had a crazy funder that would let them do whatever they wanted to do and it's problematic yeah. It's problematic, but you know, like, what are we gonna do? I mean, like, particularly in the states or whatever, it's like you can't, you know, like, I would, I would force through uh, democratic socialism in the United States uh, uh, if I could, but we can't, and it's not gonna happen in our lifetime, probably. So, like, what, what, you know, you get my point. I'm, I'm, I'm being passionate for. I'm performing.
passion here. <laughs> no, I think I think it's great because uh, you're able to identify this gap that occurs between uh, certain romantic notions of uh, yeah autonomy, independence, and independence of, of, yeah. exactly, and then trying you are you understand very well the field and uh, trying to see you know how we can advance, but. Um, and I, th I think you are, you are, you do very well an analysis of the problems that occur with that kind of uh, romantic perspective that we have, uh, yeah, from the indie, you know, coming from the indie world, and then. But uh, yeah, so I would like you to elaborate about, you know, how is it that. Um, we had these um, claims uh, for the possibility of practices that could, you know, work independently, but then that in itself generated the ideology uh, that produced uh, these type of platforms and conditions. It's like even though uh, before in the nineties, you know, from the 80s to the 90s, it was supposed to be separately and against the mainstream. In fact, that self-independent, uh, high-motivated kind of idea of you just go ahead, it totally blurred and merged with this notion of having to make it in the jungle, if you know what I mean. And this Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and I, and I would like you to try to expand about this because it's still as if music is still holds that kind of romantic, you know, outside the sphere of the possible or utopian or critical or a, you know a kind of wholly other or diverse. But in the structural level, we know that is absolutely part of the kind of same ideological playing field. So mm -hmm. if you could talk about because you, you seem to have a very well analysis of how this actually occurred historically thank you yeah I, I think I mean the um, for me I borrow a lot from there's a there's a great um, he's kind of like a in some ways you'd say there's a historian called Fred Turner who's at, at Stanford University and, and if yeah. if anyone listening that isn't familiar with his books I'd really recommend them there's there's kind of like a trilogy of books one of which is called the Democratic Surround one of which is called from a uh, counterculture to cyberculture and 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 for my purposes at least I mean you could talk about Turner forever um, for my purposes at least what he kind of identified uh, which is really useful is that you know the the kind of 60s counterculture that's well regarded as kind of being some of the one of the ideological kind of progenitors of, of Silicon Valley um, was actually um, his argument is that the great kind of experiments of the 60s um, of free love the hippie movements the festival movements um, which in many cases, for, I mean, this is complicated, but is one of the kind of like ideological and aesthetic progenitors of what independent music might 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 derive from, um, was actually connected to, in his argument, um, a an ideological uh, uh, perspective that was being incubated in the United States from the 1920s, um, namely this idea of developing um, an individualist subjectivity. As some kind of a, uh, 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 a buttress or armor against um, totalitarianism, 
Which is funny because I mean that's so much a part of the American identity anyway, right? The whole "don't tread on me," you know, like anti-tyranny thing is is so much of what we colloquially kind of understand what the U.S. to be. But his argument basically was saying that you know, in many ways, the 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 experiments of the '60s was kind of like a, 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 an academic, like a, the result of like academic ideological experiments that are actually happening in many cases within the U.S. state, um, going pop, you know. Um, which is really interesting, and we could like we could go like Joe Rogan Stoner about it, and like talk for four hours about like oh, and that's why you know like cases of like think about Charles Manson and the CIA, and you know, like it gets it gets really interesting, and, and honestly, it's kind of credible. It's like it's, it's like it's not this stuff isn't bullshit anyway. But, but but for our purposes, the idea is that like one, you know, um, the the hippie movement moving into uh, Silicon Valley, this kind of idea of the individual in there, you know. Uh, starting empires in their garage, like the, I mean, these are, for better or worse, this is kind of like capitalist wet dream shit, right? Like, you using all your resourcefulness are able to come to pull together this kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 the ability to create these kind of lean, efficient uh, company uh, structures or whatever, um, and you're not encumbered in any way by you know the state or external judgment or whatever it might be. And so th that ideological kind of perspective, if you look back, as I'm sure we all share this, we're probably all of a similar generation, right? Like, so, like, um, that was a, one of the features of, like, punk or uh, uh, independent music generally was this kind of idea of, like, one, you know, most of us were probably precocious teenagers who were, like, thought we were the clever ones, you know, and so we identified ourselves as some kind of outsider position because, oh, no, we have a very different way of seeing the world, you know, this kind of romantic notion. So you get into music to find other people who think that they see the world differently. Um, you know, uh, in my experience is, like, I was, I got deep into hardcore and I also, I, uh, um, I was deep into, like, metal and, like, uh, uh, and I also then got interested in, like, touching our records and kind of, like, discord, these kind of, these kind of, like, legacies of the independent incredibly like special in the independent uh, rec recording legacies um, but but the, but the, pr the principle kind of undercutting all of that was kind of at least officially was like you know we are special individuals who see the world from this particular realm and we want the leanest possible um, uh, contractual arrangements to be able to pursue our own you know our own vision uh, of culture and at the time, that was an incredibly powerful, like, romantic and, like, revolutionary idea in contrast to these very dusty, allegedly uh, uh, centralized uh, record industry populist uh, 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 structures, right? And so, so what you're seeing is that music is very early on, music very early on is creating these kind of mercantile capitalist entities um, uh, based on, you know, dynamism, youth culture, so on and so forth. And we all fell in love with that. We're lying if we didn't. And like, um, and there's a lot to fall in love with. I mean, it, it changed. I, I, my argument is, and this is a, a longer argument to get into. I think that like, the dynamism and the the um, the kind of cool, the glow of those moments. I think continued into the kind of uh, you know the dot com boom. And I, I think that's fairly uncontroversial. But I think the glow of like like there's people in the CCRU talked about this like. Um, there's an incredible book uh, called Club Cultures by, oh my word, how am I forgetting her name? There's an incredibly, it is a critical book uh, published in the 90s. I'm going to type this because I'm on the internet. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, oh, what's her name? She's amazing. Uh, 
Da -da -da. Club cultures. Sarah Thornton, thank you. Um, so Sarah Thornton is amazing. Wrote like a really kind of critical sociological view of club music culture from I think the time she was living in London in the 90s. Um, and, and that's one of like the angles of her critique. It's just, is this kind of like, wow, this is just like, it's kind of like skunk works for, you know, lean, fast, dynamic uh, uh, commerce. You know, I mean, that's, 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 and that's what gives it this kind of energy and, and dynamism undeniably. Um, so now the, the thing for me is we find ourselves uh, in a state, what, 50 years on from some of these foundational experiments in like independent music, right? I mean, and, and if you follow Turner, I mean like a hundred years, but like <clears throat> in terms of like your Richard Branson's putting out Fred Frith records or like nuts stuff like that from the late seventies, early eighties, um, we find ourselves 50 years on. And the, the basic question to bring it outside of like some speculative history lesson, like the basic question there is, you know, are we better off for, um, for the main march of the economy being to sell ourselves tools to further individuate ourselves, right? Like, it, how are we doing? Um, there's a there's a, a friend of mine called Troy Monaghan who's uh, wrote a great piece. He he was part of this group called K Hall. They they invented the term normcore and other things. Um, but he uh, he wrote a great article recently. I forget what it was. I forget I forget who it was for or what it was about in the broader picture, but. He talks about <clears throat> walking on a subway in New York and uh, all of the advertisements basically promoting, you know, kind of like an, an, the retreat of the individual into their home bed. You know, like it was like, you don't need to socialize anymore. Here's an app for you to be able to be single forever and find people to have sex with, right? And like glorifying that of being like, you know, I'm, I'm this independent person with this app. I can hook up with someone anytime I want. I don't need to be tied down, right? Then the next ad is, you know, you don't need to go to a restaurant. We'll deliver the food. We'll deliver gourmet food to your bedroom. And it's like an image of a woman, you know, under the covers watching like Netflix or something, eating like a gourmet meal, you know? And it is undeniable that this process, the slow churn of individuation, which can equally be attributed to like the neoliberal kind of like uh, 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 principle of building an entire economy around the idea of the individual actor or actress or whatever. But it's undeniable that there is very little friction between the ideological underpinnings of independent music and these turns. Now, quite whether they're causal or correlated, I think that they, I think that there's some causality there, but it's hard. Honestly, if I had five to ten years to like properly do like the academic shit, which I would never have, I would love to find some causal uh, relationships there. But but it's kind of undeniable that they, they they kind of represent many of the same things. And so so my distinction, at least one of the distinctions in talking about interdependence, is saying, and this is this is really like dumb, but it's but it's it's clear enough to work. I think it's like. Many of the things that you or I, or many people might cherish about independent music were actually, many of the things were actually the interdependent parts, right? It was actually the fact that Fugazi means very little without Discord. That, you know, the Nirvana record being recorded by Steve Albini means something. That 
you know, the artwork was only that kind of level of artwork and the kind of graphic designers that existed at the time, not to mention the kind of magazines that existed at the time to generate all this interest in that particularly dynamic moment of, uh, of musical subculture. All of that was an ecosystem that needed to be maintained, lest we find ourselves in the position we are currently, where we pretend that, for example, you know, like if you look at like Spotify playlists or whatever it might be, and it's like so many of these categories that, are, that, that, that they're building an empire on top of would not exist without an ecosystem, right? There was no demand for industrial music, period, without journalists, uh, you know, uh, labels, uh, publishers, whatever it might be, creating that demand. And again, this again comes down to, this is another argument, but a fundamental misunderstanding that I think people have is that like, they'll look at the older kind of centralized music industries and say, oh, well, you know, they were just these awful, and don't get me wrong, there's probably a load of dickheads like <clears throat> there. And I'm like, but yeah, but they generate a demand for this stuff. Like people don't naturally wake up in the morning and say, oh, like I, uh, you know, I want to listen to something that challenges my aesthetic <laughs> sensibilities or my, or my principles. Nobody does that. Like, very few people do that. Like, Martin Mills, who founded Beggar's Group, is like one of the most foundational people um, in a, 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 in independent music period. Um, came out and said he, he was like, you know, our job is to is to uh, sell people what they don't understand they want yet, right? I forget. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but but the whole the whole idea is in a sense about an ecosystem creating a, a scenario in which. A bunch of people can come to ideas, and so if you remove the, that ecosystem, it becomes it loses it loses some vitality. But that, that maybe I'm moving on too much. The, the independence, independence, independence thing. That's that's kind of my my thinking on it. I, I think I, uh, there is something that I would like to ask in regards to what notion of the individual would you still want to retain within uh, this independence relationship? Um, because uh, like knowing of your claims like how DJs maybe should still pay to yep. uh, um, artists, to the artists that they played, is like kind of uh, defending certain notion of the artist and of uh, intellectual property. So it's like how far would, you know, I mean, we are talking about some of the problems that we identified in the current society, but you know how far could the interdependence go if you still have an established notion of authorship yep. or you know yep. or yep. how porous could that be how much could it dissolve if you know what i mean i hear what you're saying uh, so okay so there's two points to make here the other one's good because we could also argue about ip stuff because i know that you have a lot of opinions on that and that's cool <laughs> but like the uh, the the the, the, the uh, so for me again this is kind of like uh, pragmatic normative right so in a pragmatic sense the reason i look at djs um i don't have a particular affinity for club music I, i think it's just a really interesting space because it's kind of a parallel economy to the recorded music industry it's, its own rule set and i'm also close to it for, for whatever reason i have like a ton of friends in club music i always have um and so when i look specifically at, at djs um you know my argument is you know that the, the The DJs complement the Web 2 economy because ultimately um, it's about all of the spoils going to the curator um, with very little concern for who created that information uh, or that, that content or music or whatever. Um, 
when I look at the DJ economy, I just see it from a very pragmatic perspective of saying, well, it is weird that we have uh, scenes that are apparently based on mutual support and this kind of ecosystem approach. It's really peculiar that a person who might well be a very good DJ, and that's its own skill set, and I won't try and denigrate that, even though I'm tempted to sometimes, um, that it's odd that you can have someone make five figures an evening, in some cases six figures an evening, headlining a festival, um, basically playing sequentially the work of other people. That whether or not they mix it well or whatever, clearly, I'm sorry, like we're not, I've had argue, literally I've had arguments with people online which baffles me, where they'll say it's an equally hard task to, you know, play someone else's music as it is to make music, which I was just like, it's almost, as someone who's, you know, made made records and gone through that pay I, it's just it's absurd to suggest such a thing um that um it, it is it is really peculiar and kind of a, 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 a an untenable ethical position to say i can make i don't know whatever like uh 300 euros a minute playing your music and feel no responsibility to share some of that 300 euros with you that, that to me is just if you were to port that power dynamic and that relationship over to any other field um it would be considered it would be considered the, the most egregious exploitation um and people and it and, and we would we would we would you know we would castigate the people, people involved with it but we don't do that um and part of the reason is because again we've moved from this kind of ecosystem principle where actually at some point in time the promotion economy did kind of work because people were buying records and we've kind of moved like that feeling over to this new economy without any kind of economic analysis, and so in that in that case, all I'm trying to do is 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 create is create some like contemporary economic uh, contemporary analysis of of what I see to be a, a, a horrible power dynamic. Now, with those protections in place, my argument, and this is on the pragmatic level, is to say that if I cannot control, um, I I mean, I'm reordering reorder, my thoughts. Look, if I can't control. Um, what is going to happen. I can't control um, what the big DJ in Italy, who I'm never going to meet, will do. The, the very least I can do, and this is kind of the same with taxation or any kind of infrastructure, but the very least I can do is I can, I can say that if that person goes out and makes a million dollars this year from playing other people's music, um, you know, 40,000 of dollars of that are, are being distributed to uh, the people who have gone to create that that artwork that is being exploited quite literally in a technical ter in a technical sense um, uh, uh, for profit. Um, now, is that ideal normatively? No. Uh, however, my argument would be in a normative system there would be far more parity. Um, in a normative system, you maybe wouldn't have a scenario where one person, you know, who maybe photographs better than the other person, makes hundred times more than the next person normatively now this is where it gets really hairy right it's like i think that whatever your normative proposal is and i'd imagine that we share in most cases we share a similar normative proposal um we get closer to that through producers lower in the food chain having more equity and more wealth you know like having some means to retain uh because ultimately, and this is what we learned from the the original indies, right? Is like having more money gives you uh, and gives you a greater sense. Like having 
uh, the ability to support yourself gives you a greater, more stable foundation through which to say no and through which to organize counter structures, right? So Fugazi classically, you know, could turn down brand money because they made a fuck ton of money. Let's not be, let's not be stupid. Like, you know, Crass, who I used to work for incidentally, they made a lot of money. They sold a lot of records, right? So like with that money and with that security, they were able to say, you know what? Actually, like we're going to do our own thing over here, right? And, and, and there's so much, I know within the producer community, I get mess, I literally get five messages a day from young producers who are like, just learning about this dynamic and they're like, oh, I feel really weird about it, but I don't know what to say. I don't know, you know, because they are, they are ostensibly like workers without a union because, you know, they're, they're individuated. They don't get to talk to each other. The public discourse completely overlooks the fact that there's, there are exploited classes of, 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 uh, of, of cultural producers. Uh, and, 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 and so I, I want to address that. And I think that if you, once you address that and once you can say with some certainty that, for example, this young producer base um, has some stability, then we can start talking about really interesting, um, uh, 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 really interesting uh, uh, proposals of maybe uh, equity shares or you know uh, club-based co-ops. This is stuff that I've been, I've been working on long term. Um, but the other thing that's really difficult here, and this is like a you know, um, I had to put it like. This is a fear of mine, is that we don't know what a subculture looks like that isn't really based on this kind of individualist pursuit. Um, and in some cases, I think that there's a category error that occurs where people say, look at all this money generated by these individuals with their photo shoots and their models and their Instagram DJs or whatever, look at all this money that's generated by this. If we were to just make a different infrastructure, you could circulate all that money and have it be, you know, have it be better. That might well be true and I have to operate on that principle, but the one thing that like would literally give me sweats at night is being like, ah, actually, if you remove the fantasy of like this projected fantasy of the special individual who gets to headline the festival, which is, you know, the movie, the, the cinema kind of narrative. Um, if you remove that cool factor for, for better or worse, that actually a lot less uh, money comes through, a lot less support and attention comes through music, music economies. I'd like to think that, I, so I, I use that as the worst case scenario and, and like any ideas I have, I try and stress test against the possibility of that happening. Um, but that's a scary one. But so, so to, just, to answer your question, it's like there's pragmatic and there's normative. Normative, I would really like for there to, to, to be far less uh, egregious kind of or, or, or stratified power dynamics with the music. Um, I think we get closer to that by looking at the, the very material ways in which, uh, uh, in which, in which, uh, in which money flows and in which exploitation occurs. There is something... Uh, um problematic here because we share, uh, I think, uh, your view regarding the role of uh, the individual within a subculture and so, but um, at, at the same time, we think in, in very basic terms of culture, something that we produce as humans that could manipulate the, the path of our biological determination and how them when we see uh, the neoliberal uh, uh, kind of libertarian discourse, how it uh, sees the individual as responsible 
for the failure or success and uh, doesn't doesn't acknowledge the structural failures, the structural failures as a society or as a human group. Uh, there is this massive rift because obviously we have individuals, but then we have ourselves as human species producing culture. So there is uh, a kind of transparent model of individual yep. that navigates history, uh, as you explained, uh, yeah, during the 20th century, uh, we manipulated this market economy, etc. But now I see the problem in which we are going to replace, well, we are replacing market economies with different experiments or access economy in this, this particular moment. And we will face again the same kind of problems of not being able to emancipate ourselves or to produce collectively together. We see this concentration movement of artists. Suddenly there is no point of talking about how cool Fugazi or being part of Shellac is because headliners are a single surname. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, it's not just, uh, I don't buy the, the aspect of, okay, it's much cheaper to just travel with a USB because we see like large productions of shows with, uh, I don't know, lights, yep. uh, choreographers, etc. Yeah. It's this concentration towards this idea of transcendental narcissism. <laughs> crystallizing in in this this is something that we could trace back even to the very beginning of the mythical story of silicon valley again new age new age um, yes yeah, the steve jobs yeah yeah exactly yeah i don't know it's, there there is something problematic in this rift between okay we produce culture precisely because we are a collective, yep. we are a human species. It's like there is no point of talking about technique in individual terms. I, I guess this, um, yeah, it's like trying to go back, uh, if possible, to this idea of like to what extent, like when you say, oh, the work is being exploited, but like to what extent uh, the work of the artist inevitably is filtered through all the. Um, influences us and so on and taking up or you know it's like um for me this is crucial because it's there's this discrepancy between a more increasingly uh fragmented um, and diverse way in which we conceive ourselves and uh, and the imperative to have to try to sell yourself as a kind of unit or as an artist as a yep. kind of uh, and I, I'm, when you mentioned Fugazi and like um, these examples of Selak, I mean I think here there is also an, an issue of gender of the yep. self-sufficiency of you know how one could project themselves and while previously as you said in the 20th century that kind of uh, almost natural way of understanding the individual because there was a still certain 
you know, after the Second World War, you know, like the Marshall Plan, and there is like, you know, the social state was still able to provide some kind of ground for that kind of stability of the individual to be in place to a certain extent. Now we're in an extremely much more uh, fragmented society, and and I, I I can really see the change of uh, that that natural individual is not by any means that he cannot hold itself. It is very constructed, very synthetic, mm-hmm. and I think here we can also talk about the need of PR of uh, how uh, <coughs> the individuals or the artists they. Uh, construct themselves in a very, you know, like almost like a contemporary art press release, you know, you just try to find the specific elements that basically motivate, but that kind of natural idea or kind of uh, notion that that a certain authenticity is like absolutely over, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but following with Miguel was saying, this uh, discrepancy is like kind of collapsing because of the structural level is it cannot hold itself. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing is, is like, uh, to speak to that, uh, what you were just saying about kind of this <clears throat> narrative construction, right? Like, um, this came up recently. I mean, for example, this some I, I never say individual artist names because it, it it can somehow uh, pollute the message. But but recently, there's been a, a rather large artist who kind of released a, a quarantine album. You know, and it, it's been really interesting. Actually, my work was mentioned in relation to this person um, uh, because one of the principles of the record was that uh, uh, they reached out to their community in this unprecedented time to invite feedback and uh, you know, help help allegedly in the construction of this this record. You know, and that uh, and so the, this kind of DIY. Some journalists made the again. I, I think a <clears throat> well-meaning, but, but but an error in, in in interpretation of what I mean by interdependence by suggesting that this kind of DIY leaning on a community to to do work for you um, is somehow an interdependent approach. Um, the the truth is is that like the people who and I know this for for a fact and and for better or worse, right? That, that many of the people who succeed and thrive in the current cultural economy ultimately are, for better or worse, like incredibly efficient managers and entrepreneurs. I mean, it's just the truth. You know, in a sense, the relationship with many labels, the the kind of, and this, I know this on, on like the highest level with majors, like the majors look across the internet and say, who is ostensibly doing the best with the least, you know, like, who is the kid from Chicago, whatever, LA, who has hustled some kind of arrangement, whoever knows what it is, to get this kind of virality or this kind of attention online? And how do we put petrol on that fire? You know, how do we accelerate that momentum? And you can see that all the way down, right? Like in the case of this person with the quarantine record, I know for a fact I've got 10 million messages from people being like, well, actually they were running unpaid writing camps, unpaid labor camps of young producers who for three weeks were working to spec on a record that with no communication as to whether the work they were giving would be used or not, you know, and so so the the, the big press story of the individual producing this thing ingeniously in a couple of weeks in response to a pressing financial uh, 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 political crisis 
the true story actually is that, you know, with the promise of some kind of exposure, there were, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, who knows, uh, broke people working behind the scenes to try and make that cultural product happen in the hope that they would get some shine or some glow back from it. And this extends to Kanye West. And I've been very critical of Kanye West, Virgil Abloh, these kind of new figures of, and they are, is, is this entrepreneurial mythology. No, not to not not to uh, uh, not implicate ourselves in this. Like, I also believe that uh, Holly and I and other people in our scene who I don't think participate in particularly noxious practices um, are also advantaged by the fact that we manage things really well. I th- like, I know we all know people who are ridiculously talented. I mean, like, and if there's one. Um, if there is one kind of common thread, I would say, for people who maybe success is relative, right? But people who maybe are uh, pursuing music and culture uh, full time versus people who maybe didn't quite get that momentum going. In my mind, it's less a talent gap and more uh, a combination of, of you know, uh, how much that individual could manage stuff that in the past would have been taken care of by a label system. You know, um, uh, uh, and so in a sense, this decline in infrastructure and emphasis on the individual, as negative as I see it, um, uh, does necessitate in a way that those who, you know, those who kind of get ahead or maybe find more success in that world, are those who can think like an institution. You know, who can, who can frame the way that they think about their art or. Or, or their public appearances or whatever, they can think about it in a way, kind of as if they were, you know, as, as if they were the label, their own label or their own publicist or whatever. Now, of course, all of us would agree that this is bad for the actual culture. <laughs> you know, like, like, I don't think that music gets better because of that. I think that these are just necessary, sadly, uh, uh, it's like, or this is like an inevitable response to the erosion of the supposedly evil infrastructure of the music industry, which yeah, I, yeah. trying to be heterodox, I, 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 I jump to defend, even though I, I think that there's so many problems. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, 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 it's, it's just that, yeah, obviously we are producing much better PR musicians rather than musicians, period. It's like... And the thing is, the two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Because, yeah. and, and like, but but th- that is just the truth. It's just there's some, yeah. Well, but actually, as for for musicians now, I mean, this is something that we've seen in the last decade is uh, almost, uh, or you know, I think necessary to have a PR in order to get reviews or to get some attention is yeah, totally. outside this uh, PR framework is impossible to to navigate. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, but that's and, and the, the the truth of this is that we're in austerity, and, that, and that's going back to the RBMA conversation or whatever it might be. It's like we've been any scenes that we care about. I mean, the the, the very idea that an outsider music musician would be able to get a, a a reviewer who has any expertise to review what they're doing that's under peril in the next ten years. You know, I mean, there's still some. I I've subscribed to Wire magazine for God knows. 15, 20 years or something. Um, and, you know, I could poke holes in Wire magazine too, but, like, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm glad they exist. You know? Like, for exactly that reason, it's just like, yeah, like, we're under austerity, the magazine, the press infrastructure is under under austerity. Uh, and so, yeah, like, if you're doing the job of 
the press infrastructure, if you can pull those resources together or figure out something, yeah, of course, like of course you get ahead, um, and 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 that's and you see that there's the kind of hijacking there. I mean, it's funny. Um, I, I contributed to a publication with the Serpentine called Future Art Ecologies. Um, that was publication was put together in collab with the Serpentine in collaboration with with Rival Strategy, which is um, uh, run by uh, Ben Singleton and 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 his his uh, business partner Mar Marto. Um, and one of the themes of this was, which I think is a very interesting conversation, is in the art world there's been this kind of turn toward the experience economy, for better or worse, right? Like, yeah. um, and you know, so you have people like Team Lab being the, the big example of, of this, or you know, the, Rafik Anadol, closer to home, you know, whatever. Like these kind of large art production companies, basically. Um, who my analysis of it were basically are competing with art institutions now, right? Um, because if you think about it, right, like, I mean, outside of state-based kind of uh, 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 expectations of art institutions, which I think are great, that, for example, there be a degree of pedagogy, there be a degree of accessibility, all this, I think absolutely wonderful. In a lot of cases, when it comes to art institutions, you know, they are disadvantaged in producing large-scale spectacles versus big art circuses almost, right, that can basically pre-sell an exhibition to 30, in, uh, 30 institutions worldwide, right? It's like if you're the Serpentine or whatever, some institution in New York, raising the funds to put together one unique show that stays in your venue is a very, very, you know, you're, you're one thirtieth disadvantaged compared to the artist who says, I'm going to create this big AV experience, whatever, and I'm just going to, it'll just tour like a circus, you know. And so I think the same dynamic kind of exists in music too, where it's like everyone's under austerity. In many cases, you know, music magazines are competing with Kanye West, you know. And so what you do in those circumstances is you work with them, you know, you, 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 these odd alliances come where if you can generate enough momentum online, so long as you're not doing something completely egregious, then yeah, you will find that people just end up invariably supporting you because we live in that intent, we live in that attention economy and you don't turn down being uh, from a business mindset, you don't turn down the opportunity to share in, you know, and like, for example, another, another great example I like to look at that hasn't been written about very much, but like, it, it's a great example because it one it shows just how awful the culture is that, that the, the actual music or whatever it is that's produced. But like the 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 icons of independent music in a sense now um, are people who entrepreneurially jump on each other's tracks, right? Which is on the surface of things. If you think about the old record record industry, I mean, remix industry also kind of works like this. On the surface of things, it's like oh, this creative experiment where you know, and it's like no, like. Transparently, what's happening here is that the attention economy runs on Instagram, and this is a follower share, right? So, like, if you, if you know how these tools work, right? Like, if you know how Instagram works or the festival economy works or whatever, all this culture conversation about, you know, quality of music or record, like, it, it's rendered very, very transparent. It's like, no, like, people jump on tracks with people invariably. It's like sharing data. It, it's like two advertising companies determining that they want to share, you know, share share eyes or ears in that particular context. And yeah, if you think like that, I mean, the, the, if you think if you think like that, 
that gives you a, a crazy advantage in this economy. The, the challenge for me is like, and I mean, this is, I mean, our problem, honestly, and I, I can't speak about Holly, but like for me personally, is like, I know all this stuff, but my gag reflex is so fucking sensitive that like, I can't take advantage of it. Because just the idea of it makes me want to hurt. Like, I would rather go work on, you know, something else. I'd rather just honestly work oh. on something else than think that way, than, than like, act that way, even though the opportunity is right there. Like, I, like I, I'm, you know, I, I, it's so clear to me how to get ahead in this kind of universe, but, but, it, but it, it's just, whoa, yeah, maybe I'll regret it in 10 years. Um, but of course, if you think in this way, you're advantaged because everybody's, panicking and, and there's no you know and, and this is the the, the the kind of counter argument in a sense to these kind of centralized uh label infrastructure centralized press infrastructures is like yeah like layer one you know those memes with like galaxy brain it's like layer one is to cry hypocrisy you know but then ultimately like the, like the, the the true level of awareness is to be like yeah like if you want this to work you know, to some degree, there needs to be scarcity. To some degree, there needs to be a curator economy in which some people win and some people don't get ahead. And honestly, to me, the ultimate thing, which is an ethical, uh, uh, an ethical position that I take, is that I actually feel that in, in, in the face of all these accessibility narratives that honestly have been perpetuated by the neoliberal infrastructure of like, oh, no, everything needs to be free because of accessibility. It's like, I think it's cruel. It's, it's crueler to exist in uh, an economy, um, a false economy, in which everybody is convinced somehow that just through applying a little bit of hustle or taking the right picture or jumping on the right track, you're going to get ahead. That fucking self-perpetuating, like, uh, what's it called, difference engine of bullshit is immoral. And it's far more immoral, even with all of the the awful stories about the decentralized uh, gatekeeping of, 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 of the independent music industry or the music industry generally. Granted, there's been some, it can work so much better, but it's more, it's, it, it's, it's, I think it's better to at least there to be some clarity about this stuff of being like, look, like, if your band gets in this position where, you know, whatever recording company says, like, you're the ones, we're going to invest some money in you. Like, at least you know, at least you know, like, not to dedicate your life to some pipe dream pursuit in which basically you're wasting your time, like, on the, on the hamster wheel, you know? That's, like, it's a false economy, it's a false economy, and it's a, a and that's where, I, and I find it scammy, it's like, it's like a multi-level marketing scam, um, because we're not prepared to have difficult conversations about, you know, the fact that generally, like, it, it is true that there's only a certain amount of people that can make a living making music, it's just... And I fucking hope that those people make the best music possible. That, that, that's the goal. Now we have, you know, a scenario where secretly it's still only a few people get to make a living from, make, from making music. And what they're doing is they're, you know, basically doing a, a attention grab, attention shares on Instagram. It's just like the long term, the long term fallout of that is that ultimately music loses respect and credibility, which I think has already happened to some extent. Like, a lot of people don't even see music as we're very lucky to have participated maybe in scenes and still uh still place some emphasis and some uh, and some aspirations on music as a, as a possibility space or whatever right a lot of people don't at all music is is you know it's it's music in a way is almost like classical music was when we were growing up you know it's like something that kind of exists you put it on it's on the radio like this kind of uh uh uh, uh 
this idea of, of it being a space for, for greater for greater experimentation or for collective consensual thinking about things most people don't you know entertain that because it's yeah it's, it's trap music and, and and tight beats and and people jumping on each other's tracks for the vast majority of people <laughs> I'm I'm, ran, I'm ranting now. It's Sunday morning. Forgive me. Uh, oh, but, but <laughs> no, but I was thinking as well about your comments regarding YouTube and Spotify as platforms that are quite populist because of algorithms. And then uh, this counterexample of uh, crazy moments in history, like for example, Iran with Mohammed Reza in the late 70s and early 80s curating Pandereki, Shenakis, David Tudor, Stohausen, yeah, yeah, etc. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what what kind of uh, future do we um, prefer? A future in which, uh, like, if you have a very ambitious, experimental, groundbreaking project, that can take place via these highly curated, uh, maybe spuriously funded project by the South Persia. <laughs> or you have to play the game of exploitation, work for Kane, or try to praise uh, YouTube algorithms. Because the scale of your, or the level of uh, experimentation and risk in your project will be assessed by, or yeah, populist algorithms, or someone that maybe has very good taste, a lot of money, and yeah, wants to put some some money on your project mm -hmm. because you share a vision or something like that. It's like for keeping ourselves in this like very low key, okay, I organize a gig for 50 kids. Um, maybe I start a band for these next couple of years. That's fine. But then obviously we will be trans individuated by very small things in our lives and uh, our shared culture. Mm. But then there are certain milestones that will be uh, very alienating for all of us. And then we will need to talk about this, this curational role of algorithms or, or people with a lot of money mm. and very interests. I am thinking about, for example, the role of the power of the French government and the French state regarding the French film industry and how this curated half a century of a very particular uh, cinema mm -hmm. um, in contrast of a very market-led economy of the United States uh, film industry in the mm -hmm. from the 50s till now. So I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I, mean, I, 
I just thought about the Shah of Persia and the Shenagi's Persepolis production. Yeah, totally. No, it's funny. Holly yesterday was uh, in a conversation, I think, with Steve uh, Warwick um, about Jose Maceda. And she was laughing about, you know, because, of course, a lot of the Maceda work was, was funded by Imelda Marcos. Hmm. Um, and yeah. these, these kind of, I mean, you know, there is a, that's a whole other really interesting conversation, I think, is like the, the, the kind of the phenomena of 20th century art music and the funding structures that supported it. Um, <clears throat> there's some great, there's some great books um, uh, on that. And in a way, it's also, that's also kind of a, a, a what's it, would you say, like a really cruel cool precedent that I think many of us, I'm, I'm guessing we all live in, in, in a weird way in kind of the shadow of those times, you know, that there, <clears throat> um, at the, around about the, the, the halfway point of the, of the 20th century, you know, the kind of works that this kind of very modernist turn, um, the kind of works that were being, that were being funded in a sense, you know, like were, were so crazy influential. And then they just kind of like the, 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 <clears throat> the, the, the funding wheels kind of stopped, stopped turning. And so everyone in a sense is, I mean, so many people I see are like, you know, uh, it's really hard to tell where that next great ambitious project might come from. Um, the, 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 the advice I would say is like, <clears throat> in a way, a clue is, is uh, how we try and do things, which is um, basically, you know, uh, one, you know, the European uh, state funding infrastructures of course, there's some issues uh, with them, but they are just so uh, uh, precious um, that you know institutions like a Hakebe or you know you can mention <clears throat> a hundred of them. The fact that the fact that these conversations can be incubated, um, I know there's a number in Barcelona too. Actually, is it the Makba? Um, yeah. Uh, that <clears throat> the fact that these conversations can be can be facilitated and, and given the kind of prominence that they are in in those kind of scenarios is so unbelievably precious once you, for example, live in, a, in an American context. Um, and, and, and so the, the, the great tradition in a way of these kind of European in institutions um, paying attention to this stuff and wanting to support emergent culture is, is, is really, really special. And uh, in my, not beyond reproach, but like, yeah, I, I, I will fight tooth and nail for it. Um, I think that the other scenarios you can't, um, of course, avoid the market, but the, the real dance is to basically find some way to be able to make the work that you think is important um, while still somehow participating in the market. Because the other sad thing is that, like, you know, unlike a time when, <clears throat> you know, unlike a time when, um, uh, you know, releasing an album through an independent record company, if you got to do that, then basically you were quite, you were relatively visible, right? There was only so many places in the record store you weren't competing with everyone and their dog in the world um at this point you have to have at least one eye on market dynamics it, it, not necessarily to like complement them um but just to be aware that you know you could do some really really crazy stuff and nobody and, and nobody would know uh, uh, and that's and and in many ways i see that like the stuff that holly and i work on we leave ourselves open to a, a great deal of criticism some of which might well be valid but like because we're basically trying to juggle both existences, you know, and like the success story of that 
is that you know you can find very mainstream publications or artists or prominent people who are familiar with ideas that they never would have been familiar with had we not tried to bridge those worlds um uh the challenge is that it's it's really exhausting i mean like we're like uh you know i feel like we have like six jobs and i won't complain because you know i won't complain but 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 there's there's nothing casual about kind of taking that path you know and, and like you know so it, from us we're kind of like we're insane planners and we're like okay well we're we've done all this like academic stuff that maybe fingers crossed long term if we now focus on the art stuff that will be more you know provide us some security long term who knows uh you know we also you know are prepared to step into tricky conversations with with people you know in a sense of like uh what's the word like we we noticed that like one way to exist um uh and be able to make like to be able to make the kind of work that ultimately we want to wait we want to make it really helps to like be very upfront talking about the reasons why um and so in some cases you know that process i mean holly's always said this but it's kind of like if holly weren't really really overtly clear about why she's doing something you end up being folded into press narratives that are actually quite stupid stupid often you know and so <clears throat> um so yeah i mean i think that like if you want a clue as to how to pursue some kind of a project between all these things um uh for as long as we're able to do it, I think we're a clue um, because it, we spend a lot of time trying to, you know, uh, 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 what's the word? Um, it isn't easy to try. It isn't. It isn't like effortless to try and do the kind of work that we do, um, and and uh, and so decisions that we make transparently are are in aid of us ultimately wanting to try and. Uh, you know, be ambitious and 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 one day I don't know pre present uh, uh, present projects at a scale of the, of the things that we grew up hearing about. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of rambling a little bit right now. I don't know if this is, is if this is useful at all. Yes, but yeah. no, I think I think I think it's very helpful. And um, I don't know. I guess uh, yeah, it's uh, there's some very encouraging moves and like the you know with the spawn and the, you know like having a baby that is uh, artificial intelligence. And then, but also incorporating it into the work and becoming part of the, of the whole practice. Uh, so it's like, you know, bringing the total kind of uh, home sphere into the public uh, within an area that is still yet very unexplored. It's, um, uh, it's encouraging and I'm wondering whether well, as you said before, uh, that ten, nine out of ten times in the discussions, uh, maybe, I don't know if they were only based on cryptocurrencies, but like on maybe in technological platforms, that you found yourself uh, with people that you might have, you know, deep problems with. Uh, do you feel sometimes uh, that you actually are already in doji ideological territory and that 
you're being kind of manipulated into or you still have uh, precisely because you are doing some work that is still quite uh, unexplored or or do you feel that you have the tools to kind of discern and say as you said like you know you know like no here is like you, you know how do you do have a balance between yep. exploring and, and uh, and areas that are still quite contingent and difficult and not being uh, having the tools to understand when you are being manipulated into a territory or like you know that you, the work is already being yeah because it's like yeah it's like a dance sometimes you have the control while yeah. you are dancing and sometimes you have to surrender control like maybe without realizing and suddenly yeah, yeah, already there yeah absolutely i mean i think that like the th the thing is is like there's kind of two speeds i mean again the trick is that i can't i can't speak for for holly but i can speak for myself and 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 we're we're often on the same page but i think that like you know a lot of the work i've done is The, the, like the reason maybe I can speak so passionately about it is because of course the first kind of uh, what's the word like the um, the first subject that that the uh, uh, to encounter any of this stuff is myself right it's like, like I am uh, whether you know like I am a practitioner first and foremost um, and so what I'm trying to do is respond to scenarios that I've been in and feelings that I've had and reconcile those and so for example on the topic of like taking brand money for example um the you know it my coming to the conclusion that ultimately i don't judge people um for participating in that economy um beyond obviously egregious examples where you know i know you're you're like doing something heinous from Marlboro or you know or really debasing yourself in order to participate in that um, I don't like I've reached the conclusion that so long as you feel like you are absolutely in control of your creative output um, uh, I will not judge you for you know playing a Red Bull sponsor gig or whatever um, <clears throat> the reason I do that is because uh, you know and, and I'm very transparent about it. And this is the thing is like, I think that, that with the stuff that we do, while sometimes we might, of course you put your, it is a dance as you put it, you, you're put in circumstances where you're like, ah, is this okay? The, the first, the first kind of most generous thing to do in those circumstances is to be really upfront about your logic for participation. And that, that has been one of the roles I've been doing is, is being like, look, like, I also don't want it to be the case that, and I've said this many times, without naming names, look, like having private family money comes with its own obligations. Every person's circumstance is different. But in our universe, like, you know, the vast majority of people who, who most vividly render this image of a pure artist untainted by market dynamics, pursuing their own path, the vast majority of them many of them will never need to work a day in their lives and didn't before they picked up an instrument, you know? And so there is a deep class dynamic there. That's not to say that life is easy just because you have some money in your bank account, but let's be real, it's, it's easier, right? And the, 
And again, it comes down to like who has the ability to say no, who has the ability to, to be principled about things. Um, and so my position is that I am actually very principled um, and have to navigate maybe a more rocky terrain than those who do not have to think about money in the same way that I do, right? Um, and so the best thing I can do is just be open and honest about how I feel about it. And of course, there are definitely circumstances where, you know, on, indiv- on like a day-to-day basis, th- this is the other challenge is that ideologically speaking, I mean, ideologically speaking, there might be a difference there, but like generally speaking, I rarely encounter assholes, you know, like there's people who I might completely disagree with, but, but ultimately like in, in terms of the visceral experience of participating in something, most people are, re- are nice, like they, they maybe haven't even thought about the implications of what they're participating in or whatever. And I'm, I'm certainly not the kind of person to make someone ever, I mean, despite the fact that I come across as pretty judgy online, number one, like most of it's tongue in cheek. I mean, like most of it's like, I, 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 I try to be humorous about stuff, but like the other thing is I very rarely am the kind of person to like shame anybody. Like that's not, it's just not part of my, it's not, it's just not my character. I mean, I'm like, fair enough. Like some things are worthy of shame, but like, it's not my character to jump on people's backs constantly. You know, um, but I think on there is a meta problem that, yeah, I can't lie. I mean, like there are times when cumulatively it does feel like trying to hold the positions that we hold um, feels exhausting. I won't lie. Just exhausting because irrespective of now don't get me wrong you know i i i'm i stand behind the work that we've done um i like some things better than others naturally but i stand behind the work we've done and 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 i guarantee you it comes from a very earnest place we're we're earnest people to a fault um the there are times when it just you look at this and you think yeah fuck it's not like it's not gonna happen like it's kind of the game's over you know what i mean like, yeah. like the future is branded experience, economy, uh, personal, you know, personal uh, narratives of, of uh, individual expression. And, and like, and in a way, and then I, I remember I, I went on, like, I have like manic depressive problems anyway. So, which is, is some, in some ways good for analysis, bad for life generally. But like the, um, you know, sometimes it feels like, our particular brand of critique that we genuinely experience. We're not, as I say, we're earnest. Like we are like, we get upset about stuff over the dinner table because we want the world to be better. Maybe that's cringe or stupid, but we are, we're, we're really earnest people. Um, there are times when it feels almost like our critique is entertainment. Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah, absolutely. The, and, and, and the difference between being entertained and entertaining people can be exhausting, particularly when, as I say, we occupy this really peculiar position where, you know, trust me, like when you leave deep scenes and principled scenes and the impression is that you are doing a bit better, you know, you get it from both sides, you know? I mean, like we, I mean, when the record came out, for example, I mean, there was someone in Wire or whatever who wrote this review, it's just like, it was like this assassination job of 
you know, oh, well, these people, because they're dealing with artificial intelligence, comparing us to Google and Spotify as if I haven't, honestly, with no money, I mean, like, I, I, I've volunteered years of my time to fighting, literally, in some cases, in the room with employees from Google, to fighting on that particular issue. Um, but this perception that because we participate in these things, we're somehow these kind of yuppie, you know, it's just exhausting. And that's coming from people who think about music allegedly and apparently are on our, you know, are on our side. These, these are the communities that we fight for. It's exhausting. And then you go to the other side, you know, and it's like there's some branded experience at a festival and everyone's lovely to you. You know, like generally yeah, speaking, yeah. far, far less complicated, <laughs> really lovely to you. But, but ideologically, you're like, oh God, like we're so on a different page. But you're lovely. You know, it, it's like, so look, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I'm really proud and, and uh, uh, I love the, uh, I, I love what we do and I love pursuing it. But that is, that, that's the, the, the kind of meta, that's the meta problem space in a way. It's just like, you're just like, fuck man. Like, you know, what is success in this, like in this universe? Because as I say, for us, there is always a, a question of like, if, if we feel like we're actually not, there's no possibility for us to really make a difference here or create really good work then we would, I personally would rather work on something else. I think there's, there's a thousand things you could work on that will be fulfilling um, and, and meaningful, you know, and, and ultimately culture for me is about meaning and yeah. So th- I don't want that to sound like me moaning or, or whatever, but that, that is the bigger question of being like, are we in weird waters here? Is just being like, is this making a fucking difference? Or is this just some kind of, you know, it's like the the critical entertainment experience where like every year you need someone to like come up with a new objection to the mainstream thing you know it's just like that 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 part can be exhausting yeah yeah sorry i feel like this is a therapy session no no but it's really interesting (laughs) i think that i think that's uh what you talk about interdependence i I think we all (laughs) need this type of sessions, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. and I, I think it will, unfortunately, it will accelerate. This is the kind of acceleration that we will go through, I'm pretty sure. And that's yeah. one of the benefits also of, of this kind of format, right, is like, I mean, not to, this is such a, like a, a, a what's the word, this is such a, like a, a like sorry, a cliche like statement, but, it, but I think it's somewhat true, is like the one benefit of like this kind of podcast universe is like, on any of the issues we discussed, you know, on Twitter, we might have like got pissed off at each other, you know, it, it, like, I mean, we're talking about like IP and problematic issues with brands, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, actually that individuation process has worked itself to such a great extent that like many times, you know, we're not, yeah, we're not even like having these arguments in, in real space. And that's fucking important. I mean, like to me, like Twitter is like this sea of, tormented souls oftentimes yeah. <laughs> i'm like no it is and i mean, and yeah, I mean yeah yeah absolutely. And, and i'm one of them don't get me wrong but it's just like fuck like and of course there are important dis- differences that need to be worked out and there's the, and there's distinctions but but the subtext of all of it is just like people are like depressed and like underengaged and don't feel like they're being seen they don't feel the catharsis of like of connection you know and it's like shit like i mean this is so cheesy and like romantic somehow but i'm like yeah like just like i don't know i mean I, like as i say and, and and i get i mean obviously because i try and talk about a lot of this stuff publicly like 
my DMs are just full of like smart, lovely people who like are struggling, you know, struggling with this, and that that worries the shit out. You know, that that part really worries me because then because then the cult then culture isn't really doing its job properly, which is like, you know, the these cultural spaces and gigs or whatever it might be, like these are the crucible in which you do find catharsis and you do find community and you do feel like, you know, and, and, and yeah, like SoundCloud and fucking Instagram is not, it, it, it's, it's not, it, not a replacement for that. Like we're still, I think it's a, it's an aggravant, it's an irritant, uh, you know, for that kind of feeling of solidarity or just like friendship or whatever, you know, anyway, this is very like, <laughs> very no, sentimentalist, I... like, <laughs> Describes the yeah the psychopathic uh, mood that you can feel in in spaces like Twitter, in which you, even your level of engagement is uh, predetermined by the yeah. amount of exchange that you can do with the person that you can talk to or not. But yeah, totally, and you see and you see these tragic figures. I mean, again, I won't name names, but like figures on the left who I've met who you know have these huge followings online now, and it's like. You, the like you meet them in person you're like you're like a like really smart under challenged like under stimulated person who figured out a way to like be shitty online and get <laughs> incredible validation for it you know but like but you see the difference where you, like I always remember uh, someone I can't remember I remember hearing a story do you know that this conservative commentator Ann Coulter no. She's like this kind of weird figure in the States, like a right wing, like the stuff she says is, is awful, like awful racist, nativist, awful shit. And she's like this really skinny, like uh, uh, looks kind of like a tormented woman who is very famous, and like made a ton of money. And her whole job is to like poke people. Like she says sensationalist, aggravating shit, you know. Um, but I remember hearing this, like someone, someone was giving a story about her and saying that like actually in person she's very sweet and like she's kind of like humble and meek and like underconfident, but found this mode that like when she tw switches it on, you just get all this positive and negative reinforcement and it's kind of like, it kind of like just pushes you through life. And of course in her case, she made millions and millions of dollars being like a talking head or something. And I feel like there's a lot of that too with it when it comes to Twitter where it's like cool people actually who like maybe, you know, I don't know. They're like actually like in person kind of underconfident or like far more sympathetic. And then when they get online, they're just these monsters and you get positively reinforced. Because as you say, like the way Twitter works is basically to, to, to focus people's on attention, focus people's attention on spark points, on little conflicts that appear. That's kind of, one of the ways in which it's so addictive, you know. Yeah. Is uh, yeah, what a what a what a perverse what a perverse incentive mechanism, you know. It's just it's perverse. Everything's perverse. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, but I think that's uh, their success in the long term. The success of Twitter, you know, because this is is much different. Uh, it's it's very different from Facebook or other social networks. Yeah, it's like... Um, well, yeah, but then, but then you get in the problematic territory too where it's like being incensed by the perversity of those incentive mechanisms and tweeting about it leads to a successful Twitter account. You know, yeah. so you're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, locked yeah. in this Russian doll hell where, you know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, like... And that's, that's totally my existence in a way. Where, again, it's like 
I, I mean the things I say. I'm earnestly trying to pursue things, and there's flaws. I mean, you know, I love arguing with people because, of course, you can you can you can smack me from a number of different angles. But like, but yeah, but this entertainment factor that it's entertaining to see someone struggle with with these kind of questions, um, it's perverse. It's it's yes, it's weird. I don't know. Well, um. Thank you very much. I'm yeah, uh, thank you. It's been really, really great. Yeah, yeah you really are very there. transparent, uh, and it's really nice, honestly. Yeah. You are being very, very open, and I think uh, it's really useful for everyone. No, of course. I, I, I admire, I admire uh, what you both do, and I think that, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. There's, uh, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, why, why bullshit each other? I mean, we're, we're kind of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it just slows things down. It's kind of yeah, and I don't know why. Sometimes it's really difficult to find the moments in which you are uh, talking together and going through particular issues that I think uh, need to be addressed collectively, and different individuals are avoiding touching these these points. Mm. So progress is is very slow if you know what I mean. And sometimes it's very, very difficult to find these moments and seem silly. Totally. And it's also, the thing is, like, I'm also not pretending, I mean, there are, there are some really deep thinkers that work on really long-form books where ultimately, you know, the their goal is to produce an ideologically fortified position that, like, you have to be really careful approaching or whatever. And it's like, I'm not that person. Like, I, it's not, I mean, I... I I, resp I admire those people uh, too much to, to ever try and assume that role. I think that, like, again, for me, it's about, like, my interesting area, my area of interest is, like, balancing the pragmatic with the normative, as we were saying earlier, and, like, the best way to do that is to have things be pretty conversational, and, like, um, yeah, and, and it's a, 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 you know, and so anything involving scenes or whatever like this, it, it's, you know, I don't see any, any point in overburdening it with this kind of, like, uh, stuffy, you know, like there, like there's people, there's people who will have like really uh, surgical ideological discussions, and I think that's very important. And I think that there's, it's equally important to just shoot the shit and like, you know, because um, the other side too is like, I, mean, I have like I have I've, I've thought about it a lot, and I think I have some pretty cool ideas on this stuff. But like, I don't fucking know, like, there, you know. Part, I mean, part of my part of my position too is like I I don't um, I hate the fact that that the Valley types or you know Daniel Eck from Spotify or whatever is proposing these kind of global solutions to all these nuanced problems. It's just like no, I mean, like the situation in Barcelona is clearly different to the situation in Berlin. It's clearly different to the situation in Boston. You know, so so who who am I to like try and present some kind of universal teachings or just <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, we get closer to it through through chatting. You know, I think that's the that's the truth. Um, 